Hello and welcome to a special live stream downtime episode for our 200th episode. Um, we're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we are reading, what we're watching, and what we're loving. Uh, and I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. My name's Dave. I'm the coordinator of adult services at the Cranston Public Library, and my pronouns are he and him. My name is Elena Rios. I'm a youth services librarian here at the Central Library, and I use she, her pronouns. Um, this is Robin. I'm one of the adult services librarians at the Central Library, and my pronouns are she, her. All right. And so we have gathered the whole downtime creative team together for this special episode. Um, and we're going to do something a little bit different this episode. Uh, we thought we would do some tier rankings. Um, you might have seen these online before, but it's basically you make five categories and then you pick a group of things and we will live tell you our opinions about them and put them into the five categories that we made. Um, and so first up, we will have Elena with her list. I'm going to stop sharing that and then I'm going to, oh, I think I closed it. Proof that we're live and in person, <laughs> and unscripted. I will share um, that one of the things I learned from helping prep this episode is that being a on live content creator is hard. Being a streamer, hard work, real job. I know the folks who do it all the time make it look really easy, but a lot of folks who do live stream also are solos. So coordinating four people maybe is a little more challenging. Yeah, yeah that's definitely what it is. We're very good. This is just <laughs> extremely complex. <laughs> All right, so we should be able to see Elena's tier list now. Do you want to kind of start about what your tier list is about and what inspired you to make your list? Absolutely. I think it's very on brand for me. Um, my tier list is called Books That Hurt My Feelings and Made Me Want to Cry in 2023. I love to cry. And I happen to have spent the year of 2023 reading a lot of books that changed me. Uh, had me confused, had me staring at a wall, a ceiling, the corner. And so I wanted to just show my appreciation for the books that really messed me up. Uh, and so that's what this is for. So from going from top to bottom, basically least worst to the most worst. And I say that in a, in a very admirable way. Um, I have I Forgive You, then The Audacity. Uh, in the middle, we have What Do You Mean It's Okay?, and then second to last, do you think this is funny? And then the last one is Mom, I'm Scared, which is completely and utterly valid. Uh, my first book, I have 10 books for you. I had to really narrow it down. My first book is Bunny by Mona Awad. Um, this is about a woman in grad school. She's studying poetry. And in her grad class, she has these three girls that basically dress like cupcakes uh, and they're in this like little cult. And she's so utterly disgusted by their presence that she's like, I have to join. And so the book is her joining and you discover what their little cult mm. is all about. You think it's all sunshine, rainbows and daisies. And it's actually something quite grim, so unimaginable. You wouldn't even begin to fathom it. And you, you don't know what's real and what isn't real in the book. And that is, I love being gaslit by a book. It's the best feeling in the world. And most of these books gaslit me. So oh my God. I ate it up. It changed my life. Mona Watt is like absolutely <laughs> bonkers. So that one, I think at least to start is, what do you mean it's okay? Because I wasn't okay. Okay. Yeah. What do you mean it's okay? 
Mm-hmm. Next is This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno. So this is actually a horror book about a man whose wife passes and she passes while they're living in a haunted apartment. And so after seeking her out and realizing that there is a supernatural world, um, he ends up being completely and utterly obsessed with this monster, this being. And what like slowly unfolds is almost like a parallel universe that's come to haunt him. Think of like a ghost door that follows you it's absolutely horrific it takes you anywhere again it's another book that you don't think point a to point c that middle block of b makes no sense it's absolute gibberish it scared me uh but i'm gonna put in um the audacity the audacity okay i was frustrated but in the most miraculous way okay next is a graphic novel it's called bolero by wyatt kennedy this one i found randomly at newberry comics on sale bolero is about this woman uh who is kind of a mess she's like in her mid-20s she's like i don't know what to do with my life and in an alleyway she finds a time traveler he's like hey you want to fix your life time travel because like This kind of sucks, but also why not do it? And she was like, yeah, sure. She finds this world and she ends up discovering that she has a hundred or so lives that she's able to travel between. And the entire graphic novel is her going through all of those lives, what they mean. And she revisits the same thing in every single universe. She is just, yeah, it's, it's very intense, but she goes to this incredible character arc and I wouldn't even say it's necessarily a happy ending. It's just so complex, multifaceted. We love her. She's a queer character. There's just so many things to talk about, especially with like the different mm. generations and eras. Blew my mind. I forgive you. <laughs> it's going in I forgive you. Yeah, I wrote that okay. one down. That sounds phenomenal. Oh, yeah. You would love it, Dave. <laughs> it's so, so, so good. Okay. Next right is Pure alley. Color by Sheila. Uh, I think it's Heidi. Heidi. Uh, I forget. Sorry, girly pops. This one is really for like the literary fic readers. I picked up this book because someone described it. Well, someone said there was a scene in the book where the main character falls asleep in a leaf. And I was like, girl, go get it. I want that. And um, so I read it in one sitting and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, It makes almost no sense, but in the most beautiful way, it's just written in a prose that I wouldn't even know how to compare it to. And it's just about Mm. existing. It is literally like a hundred or so pages of like what it is to exist to be a woman literally living in a leaf. Uh, hey, mitochondria, like, what is that like, you know? Huh. Yeah, no, it messed me up. I'd never read anything that was so existential but grounded for me as a reader. It was very accessible. Mm. I really enjoyed it. I recommend it to everybody. Next. Oh, that one. Where's she going to go? Oh, gosh. The audacity. That was scary. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, Down the Drain by Julia Fox. I try not to idolize too many celebrities, to be honest, but Julia Fox is a wonder of a woman and I absolutely admire her. This is her story of coming to America from Italy and then growing up. She's absolutely bonkers. She's one of those people where a million bad things can happen to her, but after those million bad things, one incredible thing can happen and it will change the direction of her life. She started doing drugs, stealing, all, like getting into crime at a very young age. I mean, on one page, she could be like stabbing someone in the throat. And the next page, she's like, oh, and I got a fashion deal. It's bonkers. It's almost unreal. Her <laughs> life was horrific. I absolutely loved it. Also, her audiobook like actually gave me shivers. I was like, no, I, I can't listen to you talk about your life like this. It's bonkers. <laughs> Anyone who's read it has been like, she's unhinged, but in the best way possible. Yeah. I'm going to put, do you think this is funny? Because I literally gasped out loud. So horrific. These are all books that scared me unintentionally. 
Okay, next, We Spread by Ian Reid. This is about a person who is sent to a building and they're there with other individuals who are sort of stuck. We don't know if they're stuck, if they've been sent there, if they've put themselves there. Um, And everything is constantly evolving on the coverage showing branches. And that's basically the best way to describe this book is going through a constant metamorphosis. You don't know what's real. You don't know what's fake. Um, There really isn't even a beginning, middle or end. It's just a book that is constantly evolving. It's disgusting. Put it in, do you think this is funny? Okay. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Simon sort wow. of says by Erin Bow. So this is actually a road. Um, well, it's a middle school book, basically. And this is a phenomenal one. It's about a kid um, who is a survivor of a school shooting. And to sort of help cope with that, his parents have decided to move him to this very solitary town where there's no internet, nothing. Um, and he just has this incredibly like supportive parents, supportive friends. And it is the best, like almost 400 page middle school book I've ever read. I read the first 200 pages and I was like, this is boring and dumb. I can't handle this. I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a second try. Then I started reading it again. And then I cried. And I was like, actually, this is the greatest book I've ever read. I All I needed to literally do was read 10 more pages and my world was changed. This book ruined me absolutely wrecked me. I think every adult should pick up this book, especially. I'm going to put this in, what do you mean it's okay? Because I did not feel okay whatsoever. I mean, it had so many conversations valuable to parents. I think the communication style, the hmm. support, lovely. Next, Jane by Maggie Nelson. This is a book written in prose slash documentary-ish style. Jane is Maggie Nelson's aunt who was murdered in the 1970s. She was uh one of the victims of a string of assaults that occurred. And yeah, it's almost an homage to this aunt that was murdered before a couple of years before she was born. It's absolutely brilliant. It was the first book I read of 2023 and it wrecked me. I love Maggie Nelson. And somehow through this written prose, she had me attached to this aunt that to me is basically fictional. She means nothing to me. And it was brilliant. I was like, okay, Maggie Nelson, I get it. You're talented, like whatever. I forgive you. Put that one in, I forgive you. The Ballad okay. of Songbirds <laughs> and Snakes uh, by Susan Collins. This is a prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy. President Snow is actually my boyfriend, and I don't feel like I oh. need to say any more. Put that in, I forgive you. Simple. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's all I've got to say to you. <laughs> right, He's my right. boyfriend. I love President Snow. He's so disgusting. He makes me sick. Next, Ponies by Kish Johnson. This is actually a short story collection that Emily Brown, a head of youth services, introduced to me because of Bunny. Um, similar to Bunny, this basically shows you like sunshine and lollipops where these girls basically raise their own My Little Ponies, essentially. Um, and then when it gets to a point when they're old enough, you actually have to slaughter them because they're not cool. And so this beautiful story that presents them as like these incredible mythical creatures that are so conscious and have community amongst themselves, um, all of a sudden you have to accept like the grim truth of like, they are just creatures. They have no importance. Okay. Now go slaughter it in a field. And it's super stunning and glamorous. I ate it up. It scared me. It scared me. Mom, I'm scared. Okay. So we did get one into mom. I'm scared. They could all get there. Yeah. No. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, honestly, you could put bunny there too. Cause like you're supposed to move these around at the end. I was just going to say, now that you've gone through your initial ranking, is Hmm. there any that you feel like you want to change before we lock it in? Bunny. Put it in in Mom, I'm Scared. Bunny goes in Mom, I'm Scared. Yeah. Okay. They horrified me. Shaking in my boots type of stuff, you know? All right. Yeah, so you had three in I Forgive You, two in The Audacity, one in What Do You Mean It's Okay? 
two in Do You Think This Is Funny and two in Mom, I'm Scared. Yeah. So pretty pretty even spread, I would say. Yeah. Let me ask a question, Elena, because it sounds like the way that, you know, you were obviously selecting books that hurt your feelings and made you want to cry. What is maybe one book from 2023 that's the exact opposite that gave you the opposite feeling? And you can interpret that however you want. I'm just curious to put you on the spot. Yeah, you put me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think. It might have been like a manga, maybe. Okay. One that made me happy. Yeah, honestly, maybe like Toilet Bound. I've been trying to reread like the first half of the series. And that makes me so happy I cry. I just love when a book can make me cry. Yeah, I would say Toilet Bound. Yeah, I love that manga. It's just so wholesome. It's everything I need, you know, and it's a perfect palate cleanser. So, (laughs) yeah. All right. So who wants to go next? I can. All right. So, oh, I scrolled on the wrong computer. Okay. So my topic was actually suggested by one of the others on the podcast team because they know that I go to a lot of author events. And actually, I just realized I forgot to put the author event that Taylor and Elena and I went to, where we got to see Ibram Kendi and Joel Christian Gill. So that's another one on the list. But regardless, there were a lot to keep track of, and it was kind of interesting to, to actually make the list and see who I got to see and whether or not it was as good as I thought it would be. Um, So the first one that I would get put into the category of talking to authors in person is fun is uh, Jennifer Weiner. And she, her latest book that came out at the end of the summer, 2023 is called the breakaway or yeah, the breakaway. And she did a really cool thing. She had a fan weekend in Provincetown on Cape Cod. So it was a fan weekend and we got to hang out with her. She she has a home nearby. And one of the very fun things is that book is about a bicycling trip. And I like to bicycle and we went on a bicycle. Um, we went on a ride with, with Jen And it was funny because we all had rental bikes and they really weren't great for going up hills. So it was kind of a fiasco, but we all had fun (laughs) and we had a lot of laughs. So that was the most, you know, up close and personal author event I've ever attended where you're basically, you know, learning more about their life and places that they go to and spend time with. We even all went out to a bar and did karaoke with her. So yeah, it was, that was pretty cool. cool. That was definitely a very unusual author event for me, considering I've been going to a lot over the past, definitely 10 years. How does one get invited to a fan weekend? That seems exclusive. Because I'm on her mailing list. So other authors have done this too. Ellen Hildebrand does one and um, cool. That's so very yeah, cool. on their mailing list. And I went to see Martha Hall Kelly. Wait, hold on, Park Robin. Theater. We got to rank your first one. Oh, that was talking to authors in person is fun. Okay. There we go. Sorry. No worries. So 
Another uh, author that I actually saw right here in Cranston at the Park Theater was Martha Hall Kelly. She was at an event with my friend Robin Call, who is reading with Robin, a guest on this podcast not too long ago. And she and I went with friends. So from my book group and they, you know, we all liked the event and everything, but none of us waited in line to get our book signed that night because we were, well, no, not none of us. <laughs> two two people did, and she actually ended up having her photo on Martha Hall Kelly's Instagram, and um, which kind of made the rest of us laugh because she got right up there and and got her book signed, even though it was a big crowd. I I did not, but she was <laughs> she was lovely. So uh, Martha Hall Kelly would definitely be in the topic of friends can make interesting company. Okay, so. Another author that I've seen for many, many years, um, I've read some of her books, is Cy Montgomery. Her book was Of Time and Turtles, which I think I put the book cover in. When I go to author events, I don't always take a picture of them, and I certainly don't want to be in their face about taking a picture with me. Mm. And I think that this book would definitely be in fave author because I've read you know, multiple books that Cy Montgomery has written. And she was lovely to meet in person. So bonus. Another author, uh, the very lovely Fiona Davis, who has written lots of books that are set in New York City and the really fun historical fiction going through two timelines. And I introduced my mom to these books and she really loves them too. So when I went to this event, and I got the book, I had her inscribe it for my mom. So she's a fave author also. And moving on to Warren Zane's Deliver Me From Nowhere. This was definitely uh, an interesting event because it took place at Pop Emporium, which is vintage of a vintage store in Providence. Oh, yeah. Um, so we did not talk to him face to face because it was pretty crowded. Um, I would say great book though for Deliver Me From Nowhere, which was about the making of Nebraska, a specific Bruce Springsteen album, highly specific. And my most recent author event was in December when I had a local author, um, uh, Kimberly Ragosa, who did The Gathering Table And that was held here at the library, and this would go into the category of excellent yet underattended because I only had about eight people there. But she was really interesting. She wrote this cookbook. It had 500 recipes in it, and it was a lot, but she was um, fun to talk to. And then the other event that I scheduled for over here at Central this fall was the uh, Dolls of Our Lives. And the two authors of this are have Rhode Island connections. And one of them grew up in Rhode Island and the other one works in Rhode Island now. So that was why I got in touch with them and they were really nice and cool, but I would have to put them into the excellent yet under attended also because we had a small group. 
But the folks who were there mm. were really excited because they have a podcast, and that's how they ended up getting the book deal. So just waiting for our book deal, right, Dave? There, um, yeah, it's got to be coming. Um, <laughs> book deal about books. Um, another recent, towards the end of 2023, was Dale Arnold, who wrote the book Tough Guys. And he is a color commentary person on Nesson during the Bruins hockey games. Dale is a, such an engaging person that I would put him in the category of talking to authors in person is fun. He came up to us cool. while we were waiting in line to buy our book and introduced himself. And uh, he was just very nice and chatty with everyone. So that yeah. that was fun. That's an awesome venue too. Unlikely yes. Story in Plainville, Mass. I love going there. Unlikely Bookstore. If you haven't been there, it's definitely worth a trip. Beautiful place. Um, Jean Kwok, who wrote The Leftover Woman, among other books, novels. She uh, was at a, another reading with Robin event, and I have read another one of her books. I would definitely put that into a great book, though, because of, um, you know, I didn't get to talk to her in person because there were a lot of people waiting in line, um, but she was very entertaining. And... When I got to see Fiona Davis, I also saw two other authors, uh, Kristen Harmel, who wrote The Paris Daughter, and Nicola Harrison, who wrote Hotel Laguna, which was pretty interesting. I didn't chat with them, but I loved hearing them. So I would definitely put them into a um, great book, though. And Lisa C., who wrote... Uh, a number of books, but this was for Lady Tan's Circle of Women. And you see, I'm there with two friends and we are all people in a book group. We've been in the same book club for 35 years. This would go to Friends Can Make Interesting Company because my two friends, it did not listen to the instructions of the person from the bookstore and jumped the line, <laughs> got up there, got their book signed. Everybody else was cool. I kind of ambled over so that we could all get in the photo together. Um, but I did not want to take any more time with her and get her to sign the book. So can't trust those two to follow directions. And one of them is a former teacher. <laughs> and the other two authors that we saw, at, and that was at Unlikely Story, and the third Unlikely Story author event was with Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray, who have written two books together, and this is their newest one, The First Ladies, and they were really fun, and I would definitely put them into fave author because the previous book that they did was a, The Private Librarian, and I've read a bunch of stuff by Marie Benedict, so I've always looked for her books when there's new ones coming out. So is there any uh, any last-minute changes now that you've run through the malls? Is there anything that oh, you yes. want to move? Yes, because I realized in <laughs> at the last minute that I forgot the event uh, that we went to, and I would definitely just say that that's a tough one because it wasn't underattended and we didn't talk to them. And you two were with me and you were quite well behaved, unlike my book club friends. 
<laughs> so I would just say, you know, great book though. It was a great, great event, but we did yeah. not interact with the authors no. that night. Cause I don't think that was set up yeah. for us to do that. No, was it? they were like, we here's your it. free no. book. Goodbye. <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there was just people running the event. We're like, "Here's your book. Here's your book." As we yeah. were like walking yeah. out, and I was like, "Okay." And the we should mention yeah. the book is stamped from the beginning, the graphic novel adaptation, which is so impressive that he was able to adapt yes. that book uh, at, in that format. So really, and it's a book that all four of us liked. I don't even remember the the. It was 2021. We had Joel Christian Gill on our podcast talking about the very yeah, like he was still of, uh, of putting that book together, not but storyboarding, yeah. but like he was still it, yeah. like yes. drawing the comic. Yeah, very very beginning phases of that, but that was very cool because he adapted a like a 500 page book. Yeah, it's a yeah. doorstop, and yeah. the graphic yeah. novel is significant size. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, that was another good one. So I guess it would be more like. 15 mm-hmm. authors yeah. in 12 months. That's not good. Not too bad. Not yeah. too bad a clip there, Robin. We're, I think we're very lucky because Plainville being not too many miles over the Rhode Island border, I would say we're just really lucky that so many authors come to the Providence area. Awesome. Moving right along. All right, Dave, do you want to go next or do you want me to go next? Sure, I'll go next. I'm psyched for this. <laughs> me too. I'm going to actually have things to add to this because... I am familiar with some yes. of these robots, unlike uh, our first two. <laughs> our first two <laughs> lists, where I um, had not read many of any of the books. Yeah. So the title of the tier, uh, my favorite thing is robots. It's kind of a a takeoff of um, Emil Ferris. My favorite thing is monsters. Volume two is coming out soon. Actually, for real, cannot wait to read that book. But that's not what this is about. Um, I am a sci-fi kid. My favorite thing is robots. And so, you know, I have uh, five tiers from most believable to least believable. Um, So right at the top there, fully sentient. You know, you're a real robot. I I fully believe it. Um, I believe in AI, uh, even though AI is a scam. You heard it here, folks. Uh, (laughs) Next, take me to your leader. You know, we're we're almost there, you know, but it's still kind of hokey. I want to believe little X-Files vibes like I love it. It's not quite a believable robot for me. Um, Battlebot, you know, the battle bots like driving around trying to chunk each other. Um, you know that there's a person running things. And then at the bottom there, toaster, like you're a toaster. <laughs> what are you doing? You're not even a brave little toaster. You're just a toaster. I don't I don't buy it. Yeah. It, Brave Little Toaster, by the way, if I would put Brave Little Toaster and take me to your leader. Uh, that's, um, you know, a little bonus <laughs> for you there. But um, basically, Toy Story before Toy Story was Toy Story. Brave Little Toaster walked so that Toy Story could run. That's right. Toy Story 3 basically is the plot of, to- of Brave Little Toaster, um, which was bought by Disney. So uh, it's another conspiracy for you all. That thing was classic. I love that. But I'm getting off topic. So starting out with the Cylons, the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica, particularly the very humanoid Cylons. You don't even know if you're a Cylon. Um, it didn't. I, I think I was one of the people who really enjoyed Battlestar Galactica, but upon looking back, I feel like the Cylons didn't really work for me. I would put them... Uh, I think they gotta be... Uh, I think they gotta be like <laughs> BattleBot. Oh, like, all right. Yeah. I don't know. that. There's something about it that's just like... It's not super believable, and then the twist at the end was kind of interesting, but... I don't know that Battlestar Galactica aged as well as we all would have hoped it would. All right. So next we have uh, A Psalm for the Wild Built. That's a book by Becky Chambers. Um, 
I could have put two Becky Chambers books on here. So the robot in this, the premise is a thousand years ago in the industrial past of this planet, um, all the robots gained sentience and were like, we're done and we're going to just walk off into the woods and all the robots left and all the people who remained had to figure it out um, without their kind of robot helpers. And then a thousand years later, we have this new economy, this new society that's very like agrarian. It's very uh, pastoral, like people figured it out. Um, like we figured out climate change. And this uh, tea monk named Sibling Dex is, goes around in their wagon, serves tea to the people, and then gets tired of that. And so similarly to the robots, they kind of leave that life and just go see what's out there and actually come across a robot in the wild um, who's the wild-built robot named Splendid Speckled Mosscap. Um, and all the robots name themselves after like the thing that they see you know, when, when they come alive. So Splendid Speckled Mosscap. Um, I definitely would say Splendid Speckled Mosscap. It's almost like Dex end up taking them around like a, like a child, like experiencing things and experiencing a human for the first time which was really cool. It's a beautiful and very meditative book. Um, I think that the second book in this series, Elena, I could put on your ranking because like it ruined me. It like broke something in me and then it repaired it. And I was like, I didn't realize that that was even broken, um, but it identified it and it was like, you're broken and I know how to fix you. And, you know, just made me cry. Um, so Splendid Speckled Mosscap, I'm going to say, take me to your leader. If that's what robots can be, you know, I I'm here for it for sure. I definitely recommend that book to everyone. Yes. I listen to the, these books on audiobooks. And just while I would be listening, I would be out loud. I would just be like, oh, sweet baby. Yeah. <laughs> like anytime yeah. Moscap would do anything, I'd just be like, yes. Oh, you sweet, innocent <laughs> baby child. Yeah. Yeah, but then the end when they're kind of like in the they're they're in some I don't want to ruin it. Yeah. Um, but the ending is really, really sweet as kind of like Splendid Speckle Moscap learns how to relate to a human. All right. Data. Um, it should come as no surprise that uh, I was a huge Star Wars, Star Trek fan and Star Wars fan, but Star Trek fan also. Next Generation I watched in the original run in the 90s. Um, I've rewatched it recently. It's pretty wild how much of the adult situations went completely over my head as a nerdy 10-year-old <laughs> that I was just like, cool spaceship. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> It's fun because I dressed up as Data once for Halloween. I will not have a inappropriate like makeup situation in my past unless it's uncool to kind of like gold face yourself. In which case, you know, if if that ever becomes un, you know unacceptable, I will cancel myself. But I did it. Um, I wore the I wore the uniform over a snowsuit because this was Ohio in the basically the winter, which is October thirty first, and my makeup was just melting down my face as the snow pelted. Good times, good times. Um, I love Data. I think he's a lot of fun. I really want to believe that like a positronic robot with a positronic bane can be a thing. So yeah, I want to believe for Data. Okay. And I just want to add that Picard adds a lot to the Android slash Data lore. So if you're big, okay. especially the last season of Picard, so if you are a All Data right. fan, um, last season of Picard great payoff for your patience and time All watching right. the show like expanding the idea of what it means to be synthetic life in the star yes. trek universe which i thought was interesting and then also kind of like bringing data back partially because that we've expanded the way that 
we could think about synthetic yeah, life fantastic. in this universe. Speaking of synthetic life, um, <laughs> All Systems Red by Martha Wells. It's a huge, um, hugely popular. I actually have the next one right here on my desk, ready to read. I got two more to go. So this is a story of a security unit robot um, that calls itself Murderbot. Um, it is sort of like a cyborg that has hacked its internal components so that it is it has free will um and spends you know when you meet it in this book it's still pretending like it hasn't hacked its security component so that you know it has free will because it doesn't want to be uh have its memory wiped and be you know just deprogrammed or decommissioned um all murderbot wants is to be left alone to watch tv like that's literally its only desire in life is i wish these humans would stop getting in trouble so that I don't have to keep saving them because I just want to watch the rise and fall of Sanctuary Moon. Leave me alone. Humans are stupid. Emotions. Yuck. Um, <laughs> it is wild how, like, and I think I just said this in the episode with Maggie, like it's wild how anti-human, not just inhuman, but anti-human this character is, but completely filled with humanity. It is, it is really an amazing thing. I, these are some of the best books I've read in a while. And, um, I would say Murderbot is fully sentient. I think it's super believable that like I have sentience and I just want to, you know, I've got like hundreds of hours of TV I'd like to watch. Please and thank you. Stop getting in trouble. <laughs> All right. Short circuit. Um, Johnny number five. Um, yeah, there's not a lot to say about this robot. I think it's sort of what if, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty hokey. It's very 90s. Talk about some movies that did not age well. Um, yeah, I, I can't recommend watching the short circuit movies, but they do hold a place in my 80s kid brain for like, this is cool. But I think I'm going to have to put uh, Johnny Five in a toaster. Sorry, Johnny. Um, <laughs> point that laser, point that laser at a piece of bread. You're a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does anyone recognize this robot? No. So this is this is Roz, Rosum. Um, this is from The Wild Robot, which is a series by Peter Brown. Um, I loved these books too. The premise is that Rosam is this robot gets knocked off of a ship going past an island. And so an entire shipping container washes ashore that are like mostly broken robots, but this one that is active and is activated by the wildlife on this uninhabited by humans island. Um, and Rosam learns how to speak to animals and is friends with all the animals and helps them with things. Um, I see a lot of this as being like the precursor almost to a Psalm for the wild built by Becky chambers. Like you could imagine these are the kinds of robots that eventually gains the kind of sentience that Roz has just by being out in the wilderness doing its thing, um, ends up becoming the mother of a gray goose, um, named Brightwing. And they're really sweet. They're children's books, but they're really sweet books. And I think everyone would enjoy them. So if you like robots, Check out Roz. I'm going to have Roz take me to her leader um, along with Speckled Mosscap because that's just a good kind of robot. New way of thinking about things. All right. And then my last book on there is The Terraformers by Annalie Newitz. Um, so we're talking about like artificial intelligences, intelligences that aren't, I guess, biotic, right? Like if you think about a cat might be some kind of an intelligence, like, you know, it's not a quite human level intelligence, one would think. Um I think Annalie Newitz had this great thing that either they said or Charlie Jane Anders on their podcast, Our Opinions Are Correct, that was basically like they see artificial intelligence in books as basically magic. Like 
because it doesn't work like that is really what it comes down to. You're an author writing a character and making the character what you want it to be. So there is behind all of these, of course, a human intelligence. Um, all an artificial intelligence can do is predict what the most likely next thing might be after the previous thing. Um, and so anyone trying to tell you differently from what we're all in the culture right now calling artificial intelligence is trying to sell you something. What I really loved about this book is there are robots in here. Um, there are also sentient moose. Um, there's a cat. There's a train that is like a sentient train. Um, and so what I really loved about this book is it expands the concept of what it means to be a person. Like um, there's this one really amazing part where one of the characters, it's actually had its intelligence like downgraded on purpose so that it would be one kind of life instead of another kind of life. And that ends up getting broken. And then all of a sudden they're speaking in longer sentences. It's like a whole transformation in this character. And somebody remarks like, oh, like you're a lot smarter now. And the character says, I'm not smarter. You just have to listen to me. And that really hit me to be like, oh yeah, right. I get it. Like what makes me think I'm smarter than a cat? Speaking of cats and the cat in this, um, you know, is a really, really amazing character. And because it can speak in complete sentences, you believe that it's a person. And so like, it expands that idea, like what else can be a person? So it's not just robots, but so many other things in this that um, I think come into that idea of intelligence and rise to our level, or we come down to their level, or we all do away with levels completely, I guess. Um, it's also a really great story that's basically about gentrification and terraforming a planet so that millionaires and billionaires can come live out their fantasies on this unspoiled planet and how difficult that actually is. So it's a phenomenal book. I think it's one of the best books I read from last year. Um, would definitely recommend checking that out. So I want to put that. Yeah, I, I want to put that in fully sentient too. I think everything is fully sentient in that. It's incredible, um, incredible way of thinking about the world that we live in now. Yeah. All right. Uh, any changes you want to make now that we've ranked everything? Uh, now that we've ranked it, I guess it just a mean changes. I think I'd want to put Cylons back down the toaster, but I think I'll leave them where they are. Yeah, sorry, Cylons. I think there's so many more interesting ways to think about artificial life that um, you know they just don't do it for me. Anymore. Okay, so do you want me to move it? <laughs> no, you can leave it where it is. We need something in bed. Basically, our battle bots they just you know kill humans until the humans kill them, and then they come back in their like gross tank, and then there's another Cylon. All right. So last but not least, my list here. So I decided that I would rank librarians in media, how they were represented. Um, <laughs> I think as a librarian, I can sometimes be very critical of how uh, libraries and librarians are portrayed in fiction, because a mm. lot of times it just ain't it. So um, my rankings are too cool for the school library. Um, someone on the writing team was a library kid. Uh, so basically people got it and they got it pretty much right. Uh, mm. loves books, hates people. So kind of a real, a real librarian stereotype there, a cardigan and round glasses. It's like, we're even, we're even more a stereotype, you know, we're taking us back. That's far <laughs> by me. I'm my cardigan and my round glasses. Uh, <laughs> and then that's not how libraries work. So something that's just so off the mark that I'm just like, that's not what my job is. That's not how libraries work. Mm. Wait, before you jump in, 
should I say that I'll be disappearing in four minutes because I have another meeting. I don't want to interrupt you before oh, yeah. you like right, actually yes. jump in. So this is me saying goodbye. <laughs> All right. Thank time. you for joining us, Elena. Yeah. Anyways, jump in. I want to hear at least the first one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the first one is, and I had to look up her name because I remembered the movie, but I could not remember her name. Her actual name is Bunny Watson, and she is the star librarian played by Katherine Hepburn in the movie Desk Set. Um, Desk Set has a very special place in my heart because I actually was asked to watch it for an assignment in library school in one of the first classes I was (laughs) in. Um, I believe it was our library management class, and it was supposed to help us learn about change management because uh, in the movie... the movie set, if I remember correctly, the movie set around Christmas time, or at least the beginning is at Christmas time. So it's also kind of like that added layer of like, we're changing how your job completely works right around the holiday. It make you worried that you might lose your job right around the holidays. Why are hmm. they all worried that they're going to lose their job? Because they're getting a computer. Things are being computerized. Hmm. But this <laughs> is the 50s, I believe. So the computer takes up like floor to ceiling the whole like room is like a whole side of the room um it has to be fed cards and um yeah and during the course of the movie it's the all the people who work at this library which is a a corporate library i I believe it's a tv or or radio or something like that so they're fact checking things for writers and and doing things like that um that's kind of the role of that library um and and so this guy comes in like the sales rep for the computer um mm. who is supposed to help them transition and then there's a little bit of like a romance between bunny and that guy um and it's all, yeah it's all about them learning that technology is maybe not as scary as they originally thought and that it's not mm. going to take their jobs it will just change their jobs um, and change some of the skill sets they, they will use and change how they do things. Um, so I am going to put Bunny in uh, someone on the writing team was a library kid uh, because I think it okay. was a real I think it was a fairly good representation of libraries and librarians and even the good and the bad that sometimes we can be a little worried about change. We can be worried about how these technologies are going to affect our jobs. Um, but ultimately, we'll be okay in the end. <laughs> At least that was the message of that story. All right. Next, we have, uh, which I had to look up her name, too. She ha- was named in the skit, which is her her character's name is Miss Dalton. But it is Margot Robbie <laughs> in the SNL skit, which I think is just called The Librarian. And I did watch the skit over <laughs> again bef- in preparation for this episode. And it is equally as weird as it was the first time I watched it. It's, it's so, so weird. weird. Yes. Um, yes. So, yeah, it's basically Margot Robbie <laughs> plays this quote unquote hot librarian um, in a school library. And um, and all of the SNL cast members who are pretending to be high school boys are all talking about how attractive they think she is. And then in the course of like a five minute kind of like weird music dance montage, just strange things happen. Um, Yeah. So I won't spoil it too much. So I guess pro for Miss Miss Dalton is that it does flip the like sexy librarian stereotype on its head. Mm -hmm. But con is it still was very weird and i still don't know how i feel about it so i guess i'm gonna put yeah. miss dalton and that's not how yeah. libraries work 
Yeah, that skit is like so strange. Because <laughs> I was like, "What are we getting at? Like, what was the? I I don't know it, what what we're trying to say. What was the here? point of yeah. this? <laughs> right? It's almost like I get upset. It's like stolen valor. Like I get upset about little free libraries too. It's like these aren't your jokes to make, and it upsets me. It's like, come on, guys. I get to make those jokes about us. Yeah, yeah. I guess that it's like I feel like there was a better way to twist the like. As someone yeah. who's experienced unsolicited attention from men while doing my job, like I feel like there was a better way that we could have flipped the sexy librarian uh, stereotype on its right. head without it being like, secretly, I'm a monster. <laughs> yes. All right. So the next, uh, a little bit of a non-traditional librarian, because he is a giant owl, um, which is uh, Wang Shetang from avatar the last airbender so he is the guardian and protector of a ancient underground library of ancient knowledge uh there you know are tests and tribulations ang needs to prove himself worthy of accessing the the this knowledge because it is <laughs> so secret and so ancient and so coveted um and I think uh, Wan Shitong is like perfect embodiment of loves books, hates people. Mm, He's really yeah. right there with the loves, loves the books, loves to protect the library. Not so jazzed when people want to come and access the <laughs> materials. Makes them wear the white gloves, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so... Finn Carson from the show, The Librarians. I will, full disclosure, I watched the first couple episodes, but overall I could not get into the show. Um, but I felt like mm -hmm. I had to put Finn on this list as him being the only human man librarian um, on the <laughs> list. Um, so I thought as someone who is, uh, you know, in a romantic relationship with a male librarian and have lots of good friends who are not, white women in cardigans and tiny round glasses. Um, I thought that we should <laughs> represent them on the list. Um, so the basic premise of the librarians is that it's these group of people who are in trust, again, kind of like entrusted to protect ancient knowledge at this library. That's kind of like in a, in like a pocket dimension, almost kind of thing, like secretly access, this like this library that's filled with all of these different things from mythology and folklore and 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 all of that and these uh from the little bit that i remember of the show they made finn carson to be kind of like a jack of all trades master of none like he knows a ton of information he's gone but he keeps going back to school and getting degrees so like that he doesn't need to like <laughs> enter the workforce and have a job like he could just like be in academia for a long time um which is how he got all of these now all of this knowledge but i don't think they ever mentioned that one of the degrees that he went and got was an mlis so i am gonna have to take points nice. off for that um <laughs> <laughs> they'll just let um, anyone be a librarian <laughs> <laughs> and it, from what I remember, the show basically like the premise was kind of like not everyone like you are chosen, not everyone can be a librarian. Mm. So I don't know. I'm torn between it being kind of a stereotype that he like knows everything um, and uh, and just being like too cool from library school just because like they go on tons of adventures and time travel and do like all mm. kinds of crazy stuff. There's time travel. Um, 
Yeah, I watched. The, I also watched some clips to remind myself of the vibe of the show, and yeah. it was like in the second season wow. of time travel, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just. I'm. I guess I'm gonna go with that's not how libraries work, just because this library is mm. not a lot like uh like any library I've ever been to, and everyone who's a librarian right. who did not receive the library training that I received. So, mm. um, all right. Last but not least is. Batgirl slash Barbara Gordon um, through the years of her being in the DC line of superheroes. She has gone back and forth of being working in a library, being an actual librarian, um, deciding to go back to school to do other things, but having previously been a librarian or previously been studying library science, it was unclear. I mean, that uh, I'm, in this case, I'm thinking particularly of the Batgirl uh, of Burnside uh, run of graphic yeah. novels, which I think already has been like reset and is not canon anymore because because that's what DC Comics likes are. to do. Um, but for the times when Barbara <laughs> Gordon is allowed to be a librarian um, and is not going through horrible trauma at the hands of the Joker. Um, mm. I think she is she is pretty cool. She's my favorite of the Bat children, you know, the random random <laughs> teenagers yes. that Batman has decided to adopt and uh slash traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and yeah, I I wish I wish I was half as cool as Barbara Gordon. So Barbara Gordon, you're slash mm. Batgirl, you're gonna go in too cool for the school oh, yeah. library. So I guess to ask you, do you have any last minute changes to how your ranking has shaken out? Yeah. Margot Robbie's literally in a cardigan and round glasses. That's true. So I think maybe so that we have one in cardigan and round glasses, I think I'm going to have to, <laughs> despite the stereotype smashing that happened in that skit, I'm going to have to move Margot Robbie to a cardigan and round glasses. And now we've got one in each. All right. Awesome. We did it. We did it. Unless we have a secret fifth tier that Taylor and I cooked up. Yeah. Just the two of us. So um, we, <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, didn't share this with the rest of the creative team, but we wanted to, to wrap things up by taking a little stroll down memory lane and looking at some of our favorite episodes. So this is our downtime episodes ranked. Um, and so we picked some select episodes from this past year that we really enjoyed enjoyed recording. And then it was mostly Dave, um, but Dave and I came up with <laughs> some uh, tier titles for this list. So we've got News You Can Use, uh, Went Off the Rails, <laughs> So Much Editing But Worth It, and Made New Friends. So the first one upmost on the left, which is episode 189, Blood and Watershed. Um, I know I really enjoyed talking to Evan about his documentary, and I learned a lot, which I talk about in the episode as growing up in Situate, but not having had learned a ton about the reservoir. Mm. I really appreciated our conversation with him, and I learned a lot about, um, yeah. about the town that I grew up in. Um, so I, Dave, you are the only one who can speak to the so much editing, but worth it because I'm, I'm leaning oh. towards news that you could use because I think he yes. taught us a lot. Well, that's, I would definitely agree okay. with that on that one. Yeah. This is very much like 
you know, local news that you can definitely use as far as for me, as somebody who's not from Rhode Island, but from Ohio originally, and nobody holds that against me every single day. Um, you know, it was really neat. Um, little piece of uncovered history to hear. So really enjoyed that one. All right. So the next episode we selected was episode 178, Star Wars, A Certain Point of View, where we talked to, oh no, I just totally blanked on their names. Suzanne Walker. Yes. And I'm so sorry because as I'm going to get to the reason and the tier that I want to put it in, we had such a great conversation with both of them. And yes. I learned that they are into a lot of the same nerdy things that I'm into. So I do really apologize on blanking, but it was a really fun conversation. Got to talk about something I love, which is Star Wars. And I also got to talk to them about Critical Role because I found out that they were huge fans of that as well. Um, so yeah, I would put this in made new friends, or at least I hope that yes. we made new friends. <laughs> uh, Emma, Miko, Kendon, yes, and Suzanne Walker. Yeah, no, they were fantastic, and uh, it was great because we didn't know as we were setting that up that they were already good friends and that they already kind of wrote their two uh, stories in that book um, together, basically, you know, like bouncing off each other. So when we noticed as the readers. It's like, hey, these like had a lot of the same themes and sort of were speaking to each other. It's because the authors were speaking to each other. So it was really neat to hear that. And then I also think the Rhode Island connection from Hawaii was uh, really fun. And then the Dungeons and Dragons interest connection was like, oh. Oh, we're all big nerds? Who would have thought? Yes. Who would have thought? <laughs> a bunch of Star Wars kids. Big nerds. Definitely uh, enjoyed meeting them. Yes. Um, so the next one was episode 168, which is Find Your Voice with Mark Binder. Um, Mark is a local storyteller, and I know I really enjoyed our conversation. I thought it had a wonderful ending, and like as a storyteller, he really, he really was there to help us tell a story, even with the conversation that yeah. we were having. Um, so it was wonderful to hear about how he got into storytelling and and how he kind of how he got into his telling stories for kids um, versus you know the stories that he was writing for adults. Um, and like mm -hmm. I said, with I I think very fondly back onto kind of the not to spoil it for people, please go listen to the episode if you haven't already. Uh, the very poignant um, ending to the episode, and it was the only downtime episode in history that included a harmonica solo so would you say would you say the kind <laughs> of like um what's the word sudden harmonica took it off the yeah, rails I know I, or it definitely was this got me where i was just like laughing <laughs> i like really didn't know what to do yeah. during the what do yeah, I do like now? i'm like what does one do during a harmonica solo yeah. so yeah i would say yeah. that the harmonica solo took it took it off the rails but yeah. in the best and way. I would, and I would say in, in a great way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so this next one was episode 153, which is was our Read Across Rhode Island episode with Sarah Novich. And uh, I'm just really proud of this episode. It was besides the episode that if you guys watch the video of this after the live stream, it was the only mm. uh, video episode we'd ever done. It was very important to me that we make the video aspect of the episode work so that people who were native ASL speakers could see Sarah's interview directly in like directly yep. from her. Um, and then for those of us who are 
not fortunate enough to be fluent in ASL. We also were able to arrange interpreters, which was logistically very hard and stressful, but ultimately very worth it um, because I think the final product was very well done and a great conversation about a book that is like no other book that I've ever read. Again, in, in the best way possible, a book that can encapsulate and teach so much about a different culture that is within American culture. You know what I mean? Like these are people who are Americans who live in our country, who are experiencing um, ableism and, and discrimination without ever being didactic. Like it always (laughs) felt friendly, comfortable, I mean, if it was uncomfortable, Story it was because first. you were dealing with yeah. uncomfortable things, but it, it, it never felt preachy. And right. I, I think it was right. so well done. Um, so I'm assuming that was so much editing, but worth it. <laughs> yeah, it was um, that one. I I definitely spent the most time uh, in post and um, also in yeah. the lead up to the episode, uh, to the recording. Um, but like you said, I was just so, so proud of the the results. Um, with that conversation so it was I would do it all again I'd work harder um, but yeah writing kind of writing the captions for the video after the fact and you know editing a video and then editing the audio version and then just kind of getting it all up and ready um, it was a it was a big lift but a big team effort so yeah definitely worth it all right um, so the next episode is episode 145 where we talk to the author of improve which was a graphic novel all about uh dealing with social anxiety through improv. Um, And this is another one where I think through the conversation, I learned that Alex and I had a lot of things in common. Um, I also Mm -hmm. related to, even though how my anxiety manifests is not always socially, like that is not the strongest. uh, The social anxiety is not the symptoms that bring me the most difficulty I still could relate to this idea of that your brain is telling you stories that aren't true in order to kind of like unintentionally sabotage you through your life Mm. Um, and I thought the way that she had visually portrayed anxiety was very well done Um, and we had a lot of fun chatting with them and learning about different improv games and and their experience with improv, you know, stuff about improv that didn't make it into the book, um, like about their personal experience with improv that didn't make it into the book. So I would put this as like made new friends. We followed each other on Twitter afterwards, even though I don't use Twitter anymore, but I was very excited to get the follow back. (laughs) (laughs) Like sad what happened to Twitter. I met so many interesting people. (laughs) you know, connections through that platform. And it's a bummer just to say it's not as fun anymore. But what was fun was episode 188 with uh, some of our team volunteers, um, which Elena hosted. It's unfortunate Mm -hmm. that she couldn't be, uh, she couldn't stay on the call to speak more on uh, this episode, but I know listening to it in, in the kind of, with my producer hat on, uh, it was it was a ton of fun to listen to, and it seems like it's it's yeah. lovely. Again, me from the outside, it was lovely to hear that these teens had someone in our organization that they really 
looked up to and connected to, you know, someone that they felt comfortable yes. with kind of talking about the things that they talked about. Like they, they, you couldn't sense really any anxiety from them chatting with Elena. Right. And I think it partially comes from Elena's age. And, and I'm not saying that as like me being so much older than Elena, no. but I'm just saying like Elena out of all right. of us is the closest to being a teenager. And, uh, right. And so I think they relate to her a lot in that sense yeah. and they feel comfortable with her and they see her as someone to really like look up to and, and model their trajectory yes. after, which, which is lovely, which was lovely to hear. It's wonderful and, to see. Yeah. 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 I, I get along with teens by being like, like I'm aware of how cringe and like uncool I am. Right. Like, and, and I accept that, like, you know, when I was a teacher, it would just be like, I'm cool being uncool. And, you know, I had these great relationships with uh, my students as a result. I think Elena does it by being incredibly cool. <laughs> I'm sad that she's not here to hear it. And it's just like, you're cool. I want to be cool like you. And I feel that as a, as, you know, as a colleague. And I'm sure that, you know, the teens, you know, from that conversation, like they feel that as far as like, you're someone I relate to. You're someone that is just, like you said, someone I can look up to and, you know, use as a model in my own. It's, it's really fun to see that said that recording was so off the rails. They were just bouncing <laughs> all over the place. It was so much fun, how much fun they were having. But when I thought, you know, went off the rails again in a great way, um, that's where I would put this episode because yeah. it was just so fun and wild. All right. And then last but not more. least, which I had to put on another boop, page, boop, boop, boop. Uh, and the one that we made the one remaining category for, which is our conversation, uh, number, uh, episode number 175, our conversation with our friend of the podcast and good personal friend of ours, Liz Kotako, about her project, Effed Up Fairy Tales. Um, yeah, no, Liz is just cool. She's doing cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I really encourage you to check out the things she makes on social media under the Causebarian slash effed up fairy tales brand. Yes. Um, because I think she really has uh, an interesting outlook on fairy tales and makes them fun and interesting for adults. So yeah, mm -hmm. let's put that baby right where it belongs in. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And that's our show. <laughs> That was nice. Hey, Robin, Excellent. is there anything that you want to add about our rankings about any of these episodes? No, I think they were really good because there's, I mean, with 200 episodes, yeah. it's hard to pick a handful. <laughs> yes. That's why I limited it to last year. <laughs> that would have been a fun joke. We're going to rank all 199 <laughs> previous episodes. Oh, goodness. <laughs> it's only an hour long podcast, kids. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, um, all of you who watched the live stream, thank you for listening and for hanging in there. Anyone who's watching the video or listening afterwards, also thank you. Thank you for listening. I I hope that your uh, I hope that our tier rankings comes across in audio. If you are a car podcast listener like I am, um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you again for listening. Thank you for sticking with us for two hundred episodes and. Um, we're hoping for fun and exciting things to be happening in the future. Ooh. So if you would like to reach out to us to, uh, I don't know, give us your tier ranking of something or just to reach out to the show, you can email us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. 
can also reach out to us via social media with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. For this specific episode, if you would like to on social media shout out your opinions about our tier rankings, you could also use the hashtag DowntimeTierRanks. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening and thank you again with sticking with us for 200 episodes. If you've been here since the beginning, if you just hopped on, I hope you enjoy all 200 and the ones going forward because we couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Bye. We did it. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more downtime. Or sorry, nope. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. right to left. Sorry, so, I meant to say left to right, like how you read. And I meant to respond with yes, left to right. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I just went with what you say, Taylor. It's worked well for me. <laughs> All right.